0: the garage. I'm Corey Cope. I'm Freddie Waff. Okay. So here we are. This is a movie. I'm almost positive. We talked about this in our first sit down at the coffee shop. I'm almost positive.
1: Oh, I'm sure. Movie. we. Uh, yeah, I feel we, I, I'm sure of it.
0: I, for some reason, when you get to this moment in the movie in the coffee shop and this and the diner, I, I feel like that happened. <laughs> One of us made a joke about, hey, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm going to slowly put the gun up. And I don't know, it just seems, it seemed all too familiar when you get there. It was like flashbacky Because I don't ever remember, recall ever making that thing with somebody else. But today we have George Armitage's Gross Point Blank. This movie sung to me in a big way because in 1997 when this movie came out, even though the class in the movie is for 1986, in 19, it's supposed to be, obviously the movie should have come out the year earlier. I was having my 10th in 97. So it was kind of a interesting timing. And extra, extra extra interesting is the fact that one of my classmates from from junior high through high school is in the movie because George Armitage, the director, is her uncle. But she was an actress anyway, so it wasn't somewhat. It wasn't total nepotism. She actually can act.
1: No, anyway. it was total nepotism. Come on, dude. <laughs> no, Winnie. I mean, no, she's not bad, but I'm saying that's yeah. nepotism, and that's the definition of. Nepotism. I know. I was just
0: being silly. Okay. Okay. Let's just be, I'm just being honest. Okay. Well, and I wouldn't have just being silly. Isn't that our structure? What? Huh, I, what? I, I say stupid shit and you correct me.
1: Oh, right. Cause I'm a dick. I forgot. <laughs> and you never correct me cause I'm a dick. <laughs> no, because it's comedy. Damn it. Right. Yeah. You know, what's crazy about this movie? Same, same thing is like this movie kind of launched a weird, cause isn't the same summer or the same year as Romeo and Michelle? Yeah. Like, right. Like mm-hmm. two high school reunion movies came out like. At, like hey, it's a thing now. It's like the it's like uh, Armageddon and Deep Impact, only with like retro '80s soundtracks and uh, cute girls all trying to go to their class reunions.
0: Yes, this stars John Cusack and Alan Arkin's got a brief, uh, reoccurring character in it. And Dan Aykroyd, who shows up a few times, and he's fucking great. I love when Dan Aykroyd plays dude, play, like plays guys like me this. Me too. So, I fucking
1: dude. The things I love about this movie—I mean, I love all of it—but yeah. the the things I cherish the most about this movie are the are the scenes between Aykroyd and Cusack.
0: Yeah, totally. One of the things that that always struck me funny is when you have Aykroyd wielding dual weapons yeah, and man. just shooting guys, looking like going, Chow
1: Yun Fat from Yeah, fucking seriously, the that, killer?
0: <laughs> and this is and this is one of those movies. Like this is probably the most most American movie I had seen that wasn't John Woo knockoff without you realizing that's what it was, and at least that part of it. And 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 you know when most of everybody thinks of John Woo movies, they think of well, like when Chow Yun Fat. I'm Previous to to Wu coming to America and doing some American films, you know, it was always involving a hitman. Chow always played a hitman of some kind. So it was right. kind of fitting in a lot of ways that that every single hitman in this movie <laughs> performs like him. Right. There's a point in there right at, towards the beginning of the movie where Aykroyd he comes out and he has these, Massive revolvers, just to kind of finish a job, and it just just pulls them out. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is better than him being a Ghostbuster. I like watching just fucking waste somebody like that.
1: The opening like So so the setup, right? Like the opening sequence Like with Cusack up in the tower You know, with the rifle yeah. The guy coming on the bike He's staking out In front of this hotel You know, and you're like and, You know, I remember seeing this And I'm like What the fuck exactly is going on? Because <laughs> right? again yeah. This isn't a movie You know, I wasn't sitting at home Watching movie trailers There was no internet You know, there wasn't A whole bunch of buzz around this I remember I had friends Who were working on it But you know, all they would ever say is Hey, we're going to Gross Point yeah, it's, a, it's a Cusack movie No one told you what things were about Because honestly a lot of times the crew didn't know what the fuck the movie was about because you're just working on it. You're just there You know, that, you know, today we're going to go and we're, we're setting over, we're going to shoot the cafe, you know, not everybody was privy to reading the script or that, you know, we just didn't know as much about things as we do now. Well, so I wanted to see this movie. I'm like, I'm expecting like, you know, John Cusack goes to a high school reunion and it starts out like this, man. It's a fucking, it's a hitman movie. There's a sniper. It's like, you know, I'm looking, it's, it looks, it's looking like one of those, it's looking like Les Samurai or it's one of those like, you know, French new wave hitman (laughs) movies. Cusack with his skinny tied shit we got the guy on the bike and then out steps Aykroyd as the you know in the, in his valet with the two guns and it's, it's just such a way to start the movie
0: yeah the thing is so fun about the opening is is that he's the whole time we're, we're watching this all take place Cusack is up on, on top of this building and we're listening to him have a conversation with his with his assistant <laughs> right who's played by his sister Joan Cusack and they're just having this, this casual conversation that any of us have with our friends or people, our coworkers, just happens to be that he's a hitman. And in, at this point is when we find out that that Martin, his high school reunion is coming up, his 10th high school reunion. His assistant's right. letting him know, hey, guess what? In the middle of all this. Right, he's he's got
1: to take a job in Grosse Pointe. And, and guess what? While you're there. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, high school with unions.
0: I got this thing. Now we find out soon enough that Martin, ironically, (laughs) at at their graduation in 1986, he just had this anchoring to kill somebody. So he runs off and joins the army. He disappears. He ghosts everybody, including his girlfriend. Right. Played by Minnie Driver, who is, we both said it separately from each other. (laughs) She's adorable in this movie. He, oh yeah, just wish he she plays him so hard. Where where Martin comes back into town, and she's a you know local radio DJ, and just that whole There's so much about this movie, and I know everybody always pairs it up with with High Fidelity because they're so unique. Both of them are, movies are so unique, but not just because Cusack's and them. Um, that's why you pair them up. They just have they just have this good fun tone that most movies don't carry. And like you noted earlier, everybody in this movie, not just Aykroyd and Alan and Minnie Driver and Cusack, the supporting cast is fucking killer. No pun intended.
1: Right. Azaria. I mean, Hank Azaria, you know, mostly, Zach, um, as a hitman. man. Right. It, but like uh, uh, K. Todd Freeman. Yep. Jeremy Piven. This might be my favorite thing that Piven has ever done, dude. That whole scene in the car. Ten years, man. Yeah, and and out of nowhere.
0: Scares the shit out of me because I've always forget right? that he does it. <laughs>
1: And then the, the the moments at the high school reunion when you know, and he's like, "Hey, yeah, no, no, I had like eleven classes with you. I, I did your paper." She's like, <laughs> Jenny, uh-huh. Slater. "Jenny Slater, this, Jenny Slater, Jenny Slater, <laughs> Jenny Slater." All that is so good. But yeah. I mean, you got you got Piven, yeah, dude. And Mitchell Ryan shows up dude, as, like, as well, Debbie's general, dad, and like there's General, general McAllister just
0: sitting there. You're like, "Come on, look, we can talk about Lethal Weapon now, finally, without talking about Lethal Weapon."
1: Yeah, right. There you go. But uh, Michael Kudlitz shows up while, you know, looking like a baby with a, with, with a Burt Reynolds mustache.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Jenna Elfman. She was Jenna like Elfman, beginning right? Beginning of her career right there. Benny the Jet, your Kedis. Yeah. Dude, the whole cast is so perfect. Like you said, the majority of the people you see aren't until it gets to Gross Point, which ironically, um, it really is not Michigan. There's some parts of it that were shot in Michigan, but overall, the movie was shot in Monrovia in California, which which is right. Yeah. This is back when, back when LA, you know, was substituted for everything. And if it right. wasn't, Oh, know, absolutely. We didn't travel much.
1: Right. So- what was it? What was the uh, Seagal movie we watched? They were driving through Chicago and suddenly there's pumps. For- <laughs> oh, it was uh Mark for death.
0: Uh Mark for death. That's right.
1: Well, Hey, look why we're throwing out the, you know, also, Anne Kuzak is in this movie, That's right. uh, John and Jones, other sister.
0: Yeah, and she's but and, and she
1: she shows up as Amy.
0: Yeah, she slides into the, the the booth with them. Aren't they sitting in a booth?
1: Yes. Yeah. She has she she's having a martini.
0: Yes, with three olives
1: and an onion. Stoli, please.
0: Are, you guys are so cute. You <laughs> guys cute. are still cute. And she's the one of the family that looks just enough like them to go. Oh yeah, they're related, but she doesn't. She right. has her own. So
1: I guess she's their older sister. Yeah, because she, she's yeah okay.
0: Because she was also in League of Their Own. Yes. Right. So when Martin finally gets to town after not being there for ten years, reluctantly goes, and he knows this, he's got to face the music. And this music that we haven't, we <laughs> we don't know the has to face is the fact that he bailed on everybody, the entire town, ten years prior. Right, everybody he meets, everybody, every single person. Hey, where the fuck did you go? But the best moment that just sets up the whole relationship with Manny and and John is. When he pulls up in front of the radio station, looking through the window, and he sees Minnie doing a show. And he's been listening to her since he got into town. We're already hearing her voice. Right. And we're getting these ECUs of her right up on the mic talking. That was so clever how how he did that. Shades of Play Misty for me. Yep. It was so good. And she looks out the window. And she sees him sitting there, all incognito, sunglasses, hat pulled down tight. Black. Sure.
1: Classic. Uh, hey, I'm not here. Uh, don't, I don't look suspicious. Get right. up.
0: Right. And by the way, I love the fact everybody drives the same black Lincoln.
1: <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, this has this has a lot of elements of those you know, French new wave hitman films from the late
0: 60s. She gives him the look and welcome back pointers. And then he drives off because he's been made.
1: Cause he's been made. Uh, I love the, I dude, I love everything about this, uh, how he, how he reconnects with everybody in kind of the same way, like random, like, like with the teacher when he pulls up and they have that fucking, those, you know, and they're trading barbs and you're like, what the fuck does she really like? She, she hated him when he was in school. He was one of those fucking kids. It was so smart. The teacher hated him Yeah. yet. They kind of uh, weirdly like each respect each other, but yeah, that where he meets Piven at the house dude. And you know, with, with the pregnant couple and, um, the security guard <laughs> Yeah. who, who I, uh, yes. Uh, you, so you could employ deadly force. I mean, dude, it's, dude this movie, man. this, there is so much going on in this movie and it's it, the, the dialogue is crisp. It's funny. It never, it doesn't fall into, I mean, I, I want to say, man, I've not seen, I don't know a lot of movies that have the same tone as this movie. No. You know what I mean? I mean, Armitage's films do, because I want to say maybe Miami blues, right. it, it has a similar Sort of energy and tone to yeah, it as this, but this is a movie that I don't, I wouldn't put this in the category of pulp fiction knockoffs. No way, not at all, right? No, I mean, no, this is this yeah. is its own thing. This movie,
0: yeah, because Tom Jenkins he wrote this thing in 91. Right. He, he he had the idea for it when he got his 10th reunion announcement. And he kind of was, Fuck, I don't want to go back and deal with those people. And <laughs> there you go. There's a script that came. By the way, we talk about on the show a lot about Big Lots. And we haven't talked about recently about how we go buy Big Lots and get a stack up our library a little bit more with some great deals on Blu rays and stuff. Ironically, the writer of this. While he was waiting for this movie to go into production and gets the second half of that, that contract that he got for his sale of his script, he was working big lots. Right. While he was waiting for the movie to, I thought that was kind of funny. Yeah, there is a tone of this that I can't, again, considering when he put together, to put the script together, Mike, all right, you can't say that his script wasn't a knockoff, but can you say, look at this and go, all right, well, there's Hitman and then, Mike, like I said before, I find more John Wu. Oh yeah, dude!
1: hundred percent, oh, way more. Yeah, I mean, well, it's not like Tarantino didn't rip off all the John <laughs> exactly. <Lee> movies too. <laughs> Exactly,
0: and with this, I feel I, still, but I feel like it's only those action moments. The movie itself, and like you said, the overall mood and tone of it is its own thing. And like you said, I don't, I think that's why it gets paired up with High Fidelity because High Fidelity does have its own thing. It's a romantic comedy that's not really a romantic comedy, and it's done in a way that's very right. unique.
1: Yeah, I mean, in ways, this is kind of a romantic comedy as well. I it mean, is. Like, will, they, will they, won't they hook back up? You know, when we get to the end where it's all going to shit and they're, <laughs> and they're shooting the shit out of her house. or You know, I mean, it's like, wow, this is going to be a lot to overcome. And I like the fact that he's addressing it while it's happening. Uh, this movie is really a lot of fun. I can't speak for how adorable Minnie Driver is in this movie. And it, this is also a, kind of her breakout year, right? Because this and Goodwill Hunting both came out in 97. She's great in both of them. But I prefer this movie, obviously, to that movie because this is more of my sensibility and kind of sense of humor and taste. Um, but I forget how good this movie is until I say I'm gonna watch this movie. I watched it three times, Corey. I watched this fucker three times between you know when we recorded last week, Colossal, and today.
0: I watched it twice. I think one of the reasons why I hadn't been so long since I watched it because I got that steel book that you told me about. and I got that, but it's a region B thing, so it doesn't. Yes. So it doesn't work. I had to work on a, but out of all the discs I've ever purchased, it's the only disc that's never worked on my all region player. And it, it sucked. I was like, uh, it sucks. So, uh, so when we, I watched it on Paramount plus, and I think you did too as well. It's like, when you watch it you're like, fuck, this movie is so good. I, and it did admirable dollars. I mean, it doubled up on its, on its budget. And it, cause it was something, it, the trailer, which I watched afterwards does present itself in a familiar way. And, um, but it, it, it definitely is its own thing. And I think a lot of people were surprised by it when you, when you see it.
1: Right. Everybody's looking for that John Cusack cute romantic comedy, uh, you know, that everybody was used to. Yeah. Cause he hadn't yet smashed everybody's romantic comedy dreams with Con Air at this point. <laughs> right,
0: That was coming. Uh, still to come. Yes. There's something else about the movie that has always struck me as you always look at romantic comedies and they're always overcoming their own thing but the thing is is like this is this almost like a sequel to the the first romantic comedy like the being before dude it's like (laughs)
1: lloyd dobler
0: yes now i said this the day i saw the movie i said this feels like a spiritual sequel to say anything and that lloyd like bailed on on his lady and he's like because he freaked out and i and i thought that was funny because that's a lot who Martin is. Martin is somebody who goes, I don't want this. I'm out. Got a hankering to kill people, join the army, and eventually gets a gets employed by the CIA becomes a hitman and then goes private.
1: Yeah. Goes back and kills Ioni
0: Sky's dad. So rough. That's how he gets out of it. Yeah, right. <laughs> but he had to break into jail to take care of him. <laughs>
1: of course. But you know, when you're a trained CIA uh, you know, hitman, yeah. it used to be a, that's all behind me now. They're ba- they're so good together, the two of them. Yep. You just want them to hook up. Yeah. Like when they finally do, it's like, fuck. Right. Yep. Cause a lot of times you're like, yeah, it's just going to drag the story down. But yeah, I was actually like, God, man, cause she is just tick for tag with him. Right. Like yep. as far as like with the banter and, the and the barbs, and the training, but, and that's what I love about do everybody in this movie, they're, they're all on that same wavelength. Right. The, the timing between all of oh, these yeah. actors is perfect.
0: There is definitely a juxtaposition between the real hitmen that are going on and the verbal assassinations that are happening between yeah. the characters. You still definitely have that hierarchy of high school. You still have the, the, the clicks and you still have the, the nerdy kids like Piven, not being remembered by the popular girl, even though he had 11 classes with her. Like you said, <laughs> it's just, there's so much about it. This movie can't not be familiar to people. If you grew up in the United States anyway, it this feels like, see, here's the thing. I didn't go to my high school reunion because any of them for obvious reasons, Cause I don't, didn't care for much of the people I went to school with. Not unlike, not unlike Martin Blank. But when this movie came out though, 10th, uh, high school reunion for me that year. And, and it was funny cause I, right around the time when the movie came out is when I was getting the notifications about the reunion, even though you're, you're, you're aware of it, you know, it's coming cause you're in your head, you're saying it's well, been right. 10 years. Cause you can
1: count to 10 at yeah. least if you got out of high school. Sure. <laughs>
0: 97.
1: Oh, that's 10 years.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it didn't look like a movie that we had seen before. When you, when I mean, when you go see the movie, the tray, like I said, it felt familiar. But when you see the movie, it doesn't feel like something you've seen before. And, it, and, and like I said, my, like my a lot like Miami Blues, it stands on its own. It has elements that are familiar, like I said earlier, but it doesn't feel. I don't know. It just it feels like one of those typical Hollywood pictures that we got back then, where you know that we're right? so sorely missed right now. And God, we really need to go back to that. We, yeah. I mean, those were,
1: those were, you got your genre movies, man.
0: Yeah. it's so, I mean, we talked about let it ride. It was that kind of, it's right? not, I mean, it's a totally different movie, but we need that middle of the road budgeted film again. We need movies like this again, because this is why you get a chance to let the, let the big boys flex their muscles and put all the money in the till that allows you to make more movies like growth point blank because this is where it's still, here it is, man.
1: It's been- Almost 25 years since this movie came out. Yeah. And look how we're gushing over it. I mean, and dude, it's as so, it's refreshing when you watch it as the last time you saw it. Yeah. For me, anyway.
0: I have to tell you, the one of those moments I was mentioning just now about the hierarchy of school and how it's still there, you mentioned briefly between the security guard and, and Piven when he- Yeah. <laughs> when they're showing the house, I have never felt so uncomfortable between an exchange between two people in a movie before oh, then.
1: Right. Between Piven and the security guard. Yes. I,
0: I mean, know, dude. It's, it's so, Piven. It's Piven pissing on
1: him. Like he, like everyone pisses on him.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then the way he just drives off, it's just, <laughs> you're waiting for that guy to start shooting the place up. I don't know. It was weird. One of the other things about it, what I've, when you go away from your hometown for a while and you come back and I like, it's something like this, where you've been gone for 10 years and you left abruptly and you left full of angst and like, I got to get the fuck out of here. You come back and you find out <laughs> that exchange, right? With the teacher. Oh yeah. And, and he's like, uh, have you been home yet? <laughs> right no, not yet. Okay. Have fun with that.
1: <laughs> have fun with that. Yeah. Dude. I mean, all of it. I mean, there's also, the, there's, the, there's a speak going back to that security government. There's another real funny moment at the reunion where the guy comes up and he's like, yeah, yeah. You remember? Yeah. We had, a. Uh, Chemistry, no archery. Archery, right. Yeah. I just want to thank you for letting me know to always hit my target. And he shows him the gun. Yeah. Check this out. He shows him the gun and he disappears. Yeah. Like just weird. I mean, I feel like I I wanted to look it up because I was like, that guy has to be like one of the right. It's not Steve Pink. I was just like, I got, I was going to go back and look it up because, you know, that's just some wacky cameo they threw in there on the day. Because there's no payoff. We never see that guy again. But it's funny as shit.
0: Those moments in there that really make the movie shine again it's, it's it's the little things I would be remiss not to mention Barbara Harris and this you don't get her very much, but it's so fucking heartbreaking when you get there. She plays his mom and right after he discovers that his childhood home is no longer there because it's now a convenience store
2: mm mm-hmm.
0: the Ultimart. yeah he he goes to see his mom and and she's in a home of some kind and it's just such a sweet moment, like, and she's so aloof about the fact that he hasn't seen her in ten years. And but there, oh, you know, there's my baby, and I'm just gonna hang out and talk with him. She's wonderful in Freaky Friday, and of course, Peggy Sue got married. Family Plot, but it was such a sweet little moment. It's like, again, it's like having Alan Arkin in the movie. It, it's right. It it kind of gives it this gravitas, and just like, I don't know, it just it just makes them the movie extra sweeter and. It doesn't feel like that uh, it's just a bunch of young dudes shoved into a movie. And okay, Todd Freeman, mm-hmm. <laughs> the way he plays his character in this, I feel like he's going to go rogue. Oh, yeah. like He's going to go rogue on his area. Because Hank, Hank wants to play it like he's, Hank area is trying to play it like uh, by the book. He's trying like, no, this is, we're CIA agents. We can't do anything like this. And then that line.
1: Dude, there's some really fun wordplay in, in, in this in between. I mean, just moments like that, and yeah, the, those two guys. All the stuff with them is great. Yeah, They're, and the scene with the th- with the two of them and Ackroyd. Jesus Christ. Yeah, you know what? It's funny. Uh, we didn't say it, but Steve Pink, who is one of the writers, also he plays the security guard.
0: Well, that is Steve Pink. Okay. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah, but he's but he's not the same guy that with, with the gun at the at the party.
0: Yeah, different guy.
1: Yeah, totally.
0: That makes total sense now. It's kind of like that moment where Mike White in in School of Rock is just... just (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I'm writing this silly-ass part for me. Yeah, that was good. When you first see Jeremy Piven in this, and we talked about this off mic, he is suited up like Ari Gold. He just doesn't have Ari's hair yet. Right. But he's suited up, super tidy knot on his tie, jammed up to his neck. He looks like Ari. He turns the corner with with Cusack and you're like, "Whoa, holy shit." He looks just like, I mean, he's there. And he's already like got that swagger where he doesn't feel like the it doesn't feel like the PCU swagger that Piven has. It does. He's playing a he's playing a real estate agent, which is I guess <laughs> a lot of ways that's that's Ari. Like an agent. Ari's, Ari's a salesman. If there was one thing I would have changed about the movie and it's I know sometimes less is more or whatever, but I, I mean we talked about, I wish we would have seen Aykroyd more and it, we could have had a little more interaction with him because his moment, but maybe it is, maybe it's just the moments that he's in there, just so well executed and orchestrated that you just, you, you feel like you, you want more, like it is sometimes with performances like that. You, you want more. I was when I was looking at the cast list for, for the people in the movie and get, like you mentioned, the name of the convenience store is Ultimart. That guy's name that runs the, the Ultimart, who seems to be there all the time, Ultimart Carl. It seems it seemed like such a John Cusack name. Yeah. And I wouldn't be a bit surprised if that's kind of how it came about when he and Pink were doing the rewrites on it.
1: Dude, I I love the scene where they blow it up, right? And the she's like runs out, and he literally runs back in, and he grabs him yeah. and drags him away from the asteroids game, whatever the fuck right. he's playing. Yeah. But dude, my favorite, the, the one of my favorite moments in the whole movie is when they're shooting the place up, and uh, the head gets blown off of John Travolta, I think. Yeah. The, 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 yeah the Pulp, Pulp Fiction fic- standee yeah, yeah, the in the back. The Pulp back. Fiction
0: standee in the back. Which it's funny when you you don't really see it until he's walking by and it's getting all shot up, and I thought that was like it was so good because. I have a feeling that there must've been some kind of conversation with with George or- Well, him and QT became friends, like
1: while, I think while they were shooting this, right? So, I mean, you know, he probably said, yeah, put it in there, dude.
0: Yeah, something like that. Or it was kind of like, or maybe there there was some conversation along the way that maybe this movie was being viewed by Hollywood Pictures as a Quentin Tarantino type movie. So they're kind of like, no. So they stuck that in there. And it could have been a couple of things. It's not unlike when you see the- the Stallone's Terminator 2 Standy, and last action hero. It's kind of like that. It's one of those little nods and a little fun little thing in there. And right at that time, like we noted earlier, man, everybody, if you had a gun in a movie, it was branded some kind of Tarantino knockoff. Yeah. So, I mean, 97, that still was happening. So,
1: yeah. I mean, dude, I could, we could, I bet we could rattle off 10 right now.
0: They came out in '97 alone.
1: <laughs> well, just say you know. I mean, there's you know, by the time they stopped making them, I mean, do they still do it now? Like when yeah. something comes out, they still literally we'll call it a pulp fiction knockoff. You know, not every time out, but you know, a lot of things are. Oh, hey, I just saw this. It's a it's, it's a total pulp fiction knockoff. Twenty seven years later,
0: <laughs> right? Oh, you think when people like because soon as a movie is told out of in a nonlinear fashion. Oh, it's like Pope Fiction. I'm like, no, yes. stop that. It's like Rashomon, possibly. Yeah. <laughs> I want to say, you know, that wasn't the first movie that did that, right?
1: Yeah, I know. It's funny. It, you know, but for a lot of people, sure, it is the first movie, you know. Again, it and like we were saying... This script was written in 91, which makes perfect sense because I want to say, you know, he was probably a fan of things like Hard Boiled, The Killers, all the stuff that, you know, Better Tomorrow, all the things that Tarantino obviously loved, too, and ran with. So, I mean, if not for Pulp Fiction, this movie probably doesn't get made, you know what I'm saying? But they're nothing alike. Yeah, I
0: mean, we most certainly wouldn't have given them the money that they gave them to make it, that's for sure. You noted, you know, Debbie and Martin... The, the lead characters in this they have so much to overcome from the past when they have that reunion it's almost like we've healed this thing we're going to this reunion and we're going to kind of heal this up but you know we don't what they don't know is that he's been followed there and <laughs> gets attacked uh, and martin gets attacked and he has to have a little fight in the hallway you know, in between the lockers going at it until
1: dude and yeah. how how John Woo is that fight?
0: Yeah, exactly. And the, the fight feels not something too. The, even though Wu is very hyper choreographed, type, yeah, this doesn't feel that. It feels John no. Woo as far as the shots go, but it doesn't feel John Woo in the way it's executed. It feels no. real. The fight feels yeah. very real, dude. And Cusack's doing all his own shit. Yeah, one hundred percent. And with there's Cus- no
1: there's no double there.
0: Nope. <laughs> and and they pull wide to make sure you know that too. And they stay wide know, for a bit to let you know that's him throwing those kicks. Oh yeah, yeah. Good for him, man. <laughs> because that's. And then when you think back to say anything, you're like, oh yeah. Well, fuck. He was kickboxer. He was a kickboxer. It's the future. Future sport.
1: <laughs> Lloyd Dobler's changed his name to John Q. Blank. <laughs> Which what does feel of, like
0: a made up name, though, doesn't it?
1: <laughs> it does, but it's not because everybody's like, I'm drawing a
0: complete blank. blank. Yeah, one of the worst jokes in.
1: <laughs> well it is the worst but it, it's perfectly delivered and it comes from that that's the kind of joke that that asshole would make
0: yes exactly
1: there's the moment in the movie at the reunion where the there's the 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 one the one friend who's got her newborn with him yes dude that may be the cutest baby i've ever Holy seen on camera shit, I'm, yeah. I'm just like, and, and the way him and cusack are looking at each other that yeah. baby's that baby's reactions are are amazing yeah that that's where you kind of no, that they are going to get to, you know, they're going to end up together. Cause it was a bit like, I wasn't sure, man. I was like, I don't even know if she's going to live through the movie. <laughs> right.
0: When he has that, that mom with the baby and he, they're just having their, he's having this existential moment with this newborn. And the way like you said, the way this baby looks at him, it's just like, in the music cue, what's the music cue they use right there? Fuck. What was it? Oh God. Yeah. It was a uh, queen and Bowie. Under pressure. It's the one of the most Hollywood moments of the movie. But it doesn't suck. But it's so effective. It's so, <laughs> it, I mean, what it happens, because like, I forget it happens until I see it. Oh, gosh. And then when I saw that in the theater, just that, like you said, probably one of the cutest babies ever put to film. And he's making all these faces that just like, all right, we're going to roll a camera. Like, hey, we want the baby to make this face. So they try to get the mom or one of the parents to make the faces. and But that kid looks right down the pipe and makes yep. every face that you need him to make it's so Totally, man. It's so good. It's such a sweet moment. Kind of like, as if we didn't already know that Martin was already trying to turn a corner and not just trying to make up, make up for what he did to Debbie. He has that moment like, yeah, you know what? I I really am done with this. And his, one of the things we can point out too is that he's been trying to make amends with Debbie since he get back got back to Groy's point that he's foregoing his job yeah. because he was assigned to kill somebody. He's going through the motions of trying to make up with with his girlfriend that he bailed on, and that's what like so that's what draws all the hitmen to him because well for a lot of reasons. Well, one Martin doesn't want to join joined the brand new hitman union that, that accurate is trying to put together. It gets to a point where he's not doing his job. And the people that hired him know that this dude, they don't have confirmation that this guy is dead yet. There's other hitmen now in gross point And the word is getting around that the dude's not dead. Right. That the Mark is still alive. So he finally gets around <laughs> when, cause he ends up killing the guy that attacks him near the locker room hallway area. And, and, And Minnie comes around the corner and just sees this dead guy. And he's like, it's not me. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. Right. (laughs) And she runs off scared for her life. As, as anybody, as any sane person would. Yes. So he realizes, you know what? I'm fucked. That's that. There's another fence to mend. Yeah. He goes back to his hotel room and finally gets around to open up his dossier of his, of his Mark.
1: And guess who it is.
0: And guess who it is. Yeah. Yep. I won't tell you. General McAllister.
1: Oh, I was going to say no spoilers, but yeah. So look, of course
0: it's him. Why wouldn't it be him? Sets up the third act in a beautiful way. Yes. To where now, now Debbie's really going to have to see who Martin is. She was already seeing it. She's already feeling the change in him, even though she's been sparring with him since he got back into town. But when she sees him having that moment with the baby, like she's like going, all right. I got to give this guy a real chance here. This isn't just, Hey, we're going on a date to see how things go. This guy's changed. This isn't the guy that bailed on me 10 years ago. Until we get to that third act where she sees like all his cracks about him being a hired killer weren't just jokes.
1: <laughs> no, they weren't. He was totally, but he like he was telling everybody. They just were choosing not to listen. Right. They're not hearing me, man. Because who says that? <laughs> Yeah, what kind of asshole says that? <laughs> it's so funny. You know what's weird, dude? This movie and Romeo and Michelle, they came out two weeks apart in 97 in April. Well, there you go. Right? Was
0: that also Hollywood Pictures? No, maybe it was. Was that just Touchstone? I think it's just Touchstone. Crazy that they would release these two movies two, year, two weeks apart, all basically going back to, to the mouse. It still goes to their pockets. Right? So wacky.
1: Yes, I remembered. I thought I remembered them coming out very close. Didn't realize it was that close.
0: Yeah. I mean, we we knew it was 97 because we had talked about it during Mimic. Right. uh, Of them coming out in the same year.
1: Well, you know, one of the things we haven't really talked about is again, this is another soundtrack movie, man. Yeah. Like where there was so much music packed into it. And I, th- there are needle drops, but they're done in a in the correct way. There's a radio station, so stuff's coming through the radio. We're at a we're at the dance, we're at the reunion, there's stuff being played at the dance. That works, but it's this movie is so jam-packed, they had to put out two albums. Yeah. Not unlike Buggy Nights and uh, what was the other one um Ted Presidents right kind of became a thing there in the 90s but this is the anti this is unlike empire records which we when we talked about it in empire records uh new bands were trying to everybody was dying to get on a soundtrack for a movie for exposure this is the total opposite this is all bands and this this is your cla- this is this is the formula we get now <laughs> right where it's loaded with fan favorites all these songs that are Guaranteed to make you feel a certain way. Johnny Nash's "I Can See Clearly Now." Let my love open the door. You know we care a lot. Guns and Roses cover of "Live and Let Die" is in here, I mean, but all of it works perfectly because I want to say the music supervisor John Cusack,
0: right, <laughs> is a music guy, right. When you get to that "Live and Let Die" cover, it's so good because he because <laughs> it's like right when Martin pulls up to find a, you know that the ultimate artist replaced his child at home. It's so fucking great. Yeah. It's funny, too, because that song coming out in 91 makes it, you know, the, the fact that this whole story, this whole movie that we're watching was birthed from 91 from a man going back to his high school reunion. The idea that his 10th, his 10th high school reunion has come up and in that reluctancy to go back. The music in this is so fucking great. And even though there's two, like massive releases 25 or 26 tracks or something like that have been re- released between the two albums what's crazy is that there's an entire other third record they could have dropped from things that they pulled from the movie that were i mean that were in the movie that were pulled and were on the soundtrack in their great songs and then they're but they're quick cues they're most of the cues that we end up hearing at during the dance the music makes this movie work, like not unlike the other needle drop movies. Like Todd, talk, we talked about, like Empire Records, where the where the soundtrack really is, it's it makes it so much personal because every there's at least one or two or three songs where it goes, oh, this song's perfect. There's moments like you said, like we have that moment where the the baby, that's like one of the best needle drops, fucking ever, right? <laughs> because it works so perfectly in the moment, it sells we talked before about neo drops, dude, you got to work. There just can't be some random bullshit. You got to earn them. You got to, it has to drive something. And every moment in that in this movie that has them drives that. Because at first you're kind of like, Oh, he's just kind of like going through the radio. Right. When he's doing that. And I'm like, going, right. Oh, well you're just hearing this blip blip, couple of bars, couple of bars. I'm like, Oh fuck, this is so nineties. And you, I'm like, I forgot about that. And then you get to her voice. and am like, Oh, never mind. Now I remember, and it's like it's part of it. Yeah. See now, and under pressure. Yes, because now he's <laughs> under pressure because she wants a baby. She's having a baby, which is the other funny <laughs> thing is
1: the look on that baby's face. Yes. Do you remember when she's having a baby when Kevin Bacon is walking away and he's walking down the hall and they're standing there and they stop and they're looking and all the models are getting dressed and he's got the baby with him and they do a close-up on the baby's face. Yes. <laughs> Very similar baby face look. Yes kind of made me think about that for just a quick second the way they use music the needle drops in this movie they're all pretty pitch perfect right they're like they're exactly what they should be none of them feel forced or like hey dude we're just going to throw that song in you know because we can and we've paid enough money where we can just throw it in as it doesn't matter if it works with the story or not we're gonna play elton john nikita right now
0: yep one of the things that George Armitage talked about was that they shot almost two variations of the movie. They shot an over the top version of the script and they shot an understated version of the script. As he said, the over top over the top version is the version that they shot. And it's funny because like you can kind of see how moments in there where they kind of sound like they mostly have like a mixed bag of that where you're, where you have things that are being really underplayed. Well, I mean, come on, it's hit, man, but but they're they're totally underplaying certain moments. And if you think about it, look at the third act, when that's all going down. They're having conversations that that totally underplay the fact that the place is getting shot up and they're fearing for their life because there's bullets flying everywhere. So I think that's one of the reasons why the movie works, because it isn't just one thing it's multiple things. And I think we've discovered over the years as movie watchers, not just us, but I mean, people in general, nobody wants a straight head movie. They don't, they want hyphenated. They want more to it because they're smarter than that. They, but there's times you just want Fast and the Furious. You want just your, your nutty over the topness and I'm going to shut my brain off stuff. But when it comes to something like this, where it's very personal to people. Everybody's had some kind of reunion they've gone to, whether it's a family reunion that they they went to reluctantly or a or a high school reunion. Sure, everybody can relate to what happens in this movie. And but even though with all the hitman stuff going on in life or death situations that are going on, everybody can still relate to what the core of the movie is and that is just not knowing what to do in a relationship and sometimes just piecing out and realize you fucked up and trying to make amends. Right. In all your relationships. Yep. Every single one of them.
1: <laughs> right. Martin Blank ran away from everything. Yep. Not just one. It wasn't one thing. It was just everything. I, I love when he's explaining to her uh, how he his my aptitude test morally. What did he What did he say it was <laughs> morally more morally flexible?
0: Is yes. the best way to explain it. Yes, they found he's morally flexible. Morally flexible. That moment where he says, "I," you know, because I realized sitting there at a graduation, I had a sudden urge to kill him. And I'm like, "What the fuck."
1: like I said, this movie is a lot of fun. Uh, I watch it, you know, every couple of years. I think I hadn't watched it since I bought that steelbook. You know, it was like a year and a half, two years ago, but it's something that, you know, like I said, I just binged it. So I just watched it three times. So I'm good, you know, for at least another eight, 10 months, but it is something like when it pops up, like you might like, I will kind of just put it on. It's a, cause I can let it play the music you know, I kind of always know where I'm going to be able to walk in. And it's another movie, which I will say like Pulp Fiction, I can watch from anywhere. Like I can just walk in, can, wherever it's at, I can sit down and just watch the rest of it. Yep, It's got that kind of quality to it. Like, oh yeah, I'll just sit down and watch the rest. I don't care if I missed it. I missed 20 minutes of it. I know what happened. I'm just, but I'm going <laughs> to, and, and it doesn't, you can miss 20 minutes of this movie and still know what the hell's going on. Right.
0: There definitely is a if- Formulaic aspect to it, but that's what they're playing on. They're playing on. Yeah. We've seen, you think you've seen this movie before. And I think that's why everybody like, went into the movie and sat down. I'm like, whoa, this is not what I was expecting. One of the things that Armitage also was talking about during one of the uh, test screenings was he was mentioning Miami Blues. And I want to give anything with about Miami Blues, but there's something that happens in the movie uh, towards the end that studio heads didn't get particularly behind. And again, the same people. They were having a, a screening, and Joe Roth made a comment like right out because when the father says, and in this movie, you've got my blessing in the bathtub at the end. He says after the you know, after the big shootout, he's like, just cut to them leaving. So again, one of those times where notes sometimes you're like, oh, fuck, I don't want notes from the studio. You you fear him but George Armitage said, All right, let's do it. And They made the cut and. You see it in the movie. And that's exactly how it is. And that's, I think it was interesting because I felt they didn't have any interference. They were allowed to meet the movie they wanted to make. And that was rare. But back then, when you had Touchstone and you had Hollywood Pictures still around. Silver Screen Partners. Oh, yeah, man. You got the bulk of what this show you're listening to right now is about. And we need that again, man. Yep. I mean, I know we have a lot to, we have a big fat library to pull from during that stretch of time. But- we need more of that. Dude. Yeah. I mean, I wish
1: I just, I just wish that we could still, I mean, dude, like I feel like truly there was a time when they made movies for everybody. Like, I don't know that that's true now. And there's more content now than ever, but I feel like a lot of the content is the same content. One streaming platform has a hit show. The other three, they follow with something similar. So it, people don't like to take chances the way that they did even this isn't like hey, this isn't and this isn't 40 years ago this is you know 20 25 years ago right. even in the early odds, uh, we were still getting sort of these kind of movies that were off-kilter yet they would appeal to everybody but you know they they were pushed at a certain uh, they were a genre but they could appeal to everybody on a, you know a wider appeal because they had elements of things that other people, you know, and they were just daring. They were taking, they were still taking chances. Uh, There's not a lot of chances taken these days.
0: No. This is my takeaway from all this. It's an unfortunate situation. I wish we could figure out a way of, look when we do our kickstarts, man, I mean, how are those things go? I feel like we mentioned something and it's like, fuck, even things that we've mentioned, we both will start and like, and I, we're both massive fans of Archer. I still haven't watched the new season yet. and, you know, it's like towards the end of it, there's like two or three episodes left.
1: Yeah. Well, it's also like there's so much content dude. That's it's the like,
0: that exactly the thing. And that when I'm not, this isn't a criticism, you use the word, word content, but that's the thing that big, that word has become so a bad word, you know, but it's the most fitting word now because it's hard to call something a movie, you know, anymore when you see a limited series, which is really just a long movie broken up into parts. It's like a, a It's, it's easier to call something. I just call it a show now. I I mean, I don't, can't even tell anymore what something is. And when we'll talk about, you know, when you're sharing something or I'm sharing something with you that we hadn't heard of. And it's like, well, is that a movie or is that? I I can't tell.
1: (laughs) No, me neither, man. I have to ask all the time. Is it a series or, you know, know, when you're looking at the banners, it's hard to tell. Like I have to, you know, what I usually have to do is I have to look at the running time. Yeah, and Oh, it's an hour and 54 minutes. It
0: must be a movie. <laughs> sometimes that doesn't tell you anything either. No, it doesn't. Anyway, I think when movies like this, give, and this show gives us an opportunity to look back on movies like this in a time where if you didn't like Gross Point Blank, I don't know you like, then you probably like Romeo and Michelle. There was, you know, you had a movie studio put out 12 movies, basically. Yeah. <laughs> Essentially averaged out once a, once a month over a year's period but they're probably three or four of them are made for you. Sure. But there was always something that was made for there. Somebody always had something to look forward to. I think that that's kind of there, but you, like you said, there's too many outlets. And I know, I hate to say that from a creator standpoint, you know, you're, you're a writer too. And I'm a writer and it's like, yeah, it's great that there's so many outlets for you, for your work to be pitched to and possibly produce. But holy shit, dude. Yeah, man, it's,
1: I don't want to say, I don't want to use the term like it's watered down, but I mean, I feel like there is a certain amount of it's watered down because there's so much being churned out. They can't all be good. No, it's not all bad. I mean, and look, man, if you're getting your stuff made, that's great. Right. I would never complain if somebody made something of mine into, you know, if it it got made. But I'm just saying, it's like, I can't keep up with all of the streaming services that there are. And and everything, like even Tubi, I saw this morning, swear, man, I'm not lying. I got a notification on my screen that said, tune in now to see Joe Biden get his booster shot live. (laughs) Like, what? On Tubi. So maybe. Tubi is streaming live news and stuff now. It's it's just that they're, they're, you know, I, I'm, I'm, if they haven't already done it, which they maybe they have, there'll be a point where Tubi is going to start original programming.
0: Yeah, it's funny you were talking about the the watered down aspect of it. I don't know if the work is watered down or the quality of the work is watered down, but to your point, I think the audience is getting watered down. I think shows are getting a smaller audiences because there's so much to watch. Yeah. Totally. It's it,
1: right. You're exactly
0: right. It's a drag because there's, look, how long did I have word Bosch for? And like the one person that I listen to when it said, when it comes to watch this and I'm like, and I just ignored you for a year and a half. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's okay, man. No, but I, I figured you point, get around like going, Yeah,
0: it's, totally. It's like you, there's so much going on. Well, let me get through this. Let me get through this. I just finished Lucifer last night. That's the end of the series. So I'm like, it's done but it's just like, it's too much. I, I know it sounds silly to say there's too much to, to watch. There is, I mean, how many times have we talked about that on kickstart? Hey, check this out, check this out. Things like I said earlier, things that we've recommended. I have having even watched myself. Right. Like I plan on watch. I just didn't get to it. And anyway, we need more of, This kind of thing. I know it sounds funny. We just got done on a rant talking about we need less. (laughs) We need less of stuff, but we need more specifically. We need more of this. If you're going to keep making stuff fine, but be a little more particular about what you're putting out there.
1: Yeah. It's funny, man. I always figured that gross point blank would be, would at some point it's going to get turned into a series. They did it with with high fidelity.
0: Yeah. The idea some things lend itself to it and lend itself to that kind of thing. Now, do we want to see a life with Martin and Debbie have now become a dueling assassins? I don't know, but he... <laughs> right? Isn't that Mr. and Mrs. Smith, which yes.
1: they are making a TV series of?
0: What? Anyway, fuck, dude, this is the longest episode we've ever recorded since we started the new year. I know, right? Jesus Christ. Let's wrap it up. <laughs> so if you haven't seen Ghost Point Blank in a long time, and I'm not even going to ask you if you haven't seen it before, because I'm just going to pretend like I don't know you if that's the case. Sure. How, how dare you? How dare you. If you don't own the Blu-ray, check it out. It's got some, it's it's a great transfer.
1: Yeah, the 15-year anniversary is got it's got some really good stuff on it too. And yeah. that's that's the one that the steelbook is. You can buy it. I think it's $9.99 at Amazon there if you, you wanted to pick it
0: up. Super cheap. If you if you don't have it on Blu-ray and you don't want to buy anything because you know how things are. We can continue um your love affair that we keep pushing on you for Paramount Plus, because that's where it's living right now correct. Again, nice transfer, good sound. And, so I, and that's something too that, that um, I'm, I'm really happy with is that Paramount Plus is not shortcutting their audio and video quality, which is huge. Paramount Plus is killing it, man. There you go. Go point blank. Check it out. You got a bevy of people at the beginning of their careers. That seems to be a, a theme for Schleptember. <laughs> Schleptember. The front forefront, you got John Cusack and Manny Driver, who are just tremendous together. Yeah, man. And you got your supporting cast of, oh, by the way, I want to say this really quick before I because I I blanked on it. When Joan Cusack is breaking down the office. Oh, the best. <laughs> I'm just breaking down the office. <laughs> she's taking a she's already talking to somebody and she takes a call from Martin. And it was just fucking great. Yeah. I left you something under your ta- under your desk. And she's really despondent because she's having to break down the office and basically- Also,
1: dude, he's holding that fucking switch and you're like, he's going to blow her up? The yes. first time I saw it, you know, he's holding the switch, the detonator switch. Right. I left you a little something under your office and she, you hear her reach under there and you know, she's thinking it too. Yeah, exactly. A, you know, like when she says, when he says, yeah, I got to take care of, you know, and she heals, no, no, it's not like that. I left you something under your desk. Reach underneath there. <laughs> Reads underneath there and she's got, he's, he's got that little remote in his head. And you're like, Oh shit.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, I thought you changed your mind, Martin. What's wrong with you? Yeah. That's such a good moment. Anyway, again, supporting cast across the board is fucking fantastic. It's a fun script. It more than any, I don't want to say more than any other movies at the top of the list of movies that hold up and continue to hold up better. Remember better or, or, or remember better. Oh yeah, dude. This movie, movie is- kicks ass as much as ever.
1: Yeah. yeah, absolutely, man. I, this movie, again, it's, like I said earlier, it's fresh and it has that, you know, that lasting quality. It feels like the first time I watched it. It's a movie that really I could sit down and it always entertains me and puts me in a good mood. Yep. There you go.
0: So if you want to follow the show on Twitter, it's at Pod, Or Instagram, it's the same at Pod. Or if you want to follow us on Letterboxd, you can follow Corey at Corey underscore Culp. Or if you'd like to support the show on Patreon, you're probably going to get a very long version of this episode. <laughs> Yeah. It's at patreon.com slash KITG podcast.
1: If you'd like to follow me, you can follow me at martinqblank at letterbox.com. That's letterbox.com martinqblank.